Hello and welcome to Holistic Health Chats, a podcast where we chat about all things holistic women's health and everything in between. I'm your host, Selene Douglas, a women's health nutritionist with a focus on helping women to heal holistically and live pain and symptom free. I'm so happy that you've made your way here. Tune in every week so we can listen, learn and be inspired together. This week's episode of Holistic Health Chats is part two in the preconception and pregnancy series, a solo series where I'll be covering all different topics and issues inspired by my client's own preconception and pregnancy journeys, as well as, of course, my own. In this week's episode, I cover how to optimize and maintain iron levels in pregnancy. Now, even if you're not pregnant and you struggle with iron deficiency, there's going to be some interesting tidbits in here for you. So I highly suggest Suggest you tune in. And if you feel that this episode would be valuable to someone that you know, why not share it with them? Hello, and welcome back to another episode in the preconception and pregnancy series. So this is obviously all about optimizing and maintaining your iron levels before and during pregnancy. So a little bit of a trick title, I suppose, because you basically can't maintain your iron levels in pregnancy. They are supposed to drop. That is natural. That is normal. And we're going to go into that in this episode. So first, we're going to start out with talking about why iron is really important and also talking about how we might start to look at optimizing that preconception, why trimester one is such a crucial time to actually improve your iron levels and what we can really expect to see in trimesters two and three. We're also going to touch on specific food and supplement strategies and also why we might want to avoid infusions as well as when they might be required. So, I see infusions being used a lot more frequently in clinic, both in pregnant and non-pregnant clients, people. Obviously, that's not recommended by me. That would be recommended by a doctor. And this is becoming increasingly more and more prevalent. And there are some issues and risks around this, which are often not discussed. And one of the biggest just being that often they're being recommended too early, and that can actually be detrimental to someone's iron distribution, both around the body or to the baby if they are pregnant. So we're going to get into all of that today. Now, with all of these solo episodes, they're in no way scripted. I'm really just speaking freely off the cuff. I haven't written anything down word for word. I write myself a few dot points so that I don't completely lose track of where I'm going and what I'm saying. So bear with me if there's a few ums or pauses in between because I don't script anything. I don't have the time to do that. So I hope you still find value in these episodes. Basically, Iron has a lot of different roles in the body, but most importantly, what it's known for is oxygen delivery around the body to the tissues and to the brain. And this is obviously really important for us to look at optimizing during pregnancy, making sure we're having enough so that our baby has good oxygen delivery and perfusion as they're developing. During our preconception period, so to follow on from first episode, if you haven't listened to that, which we talked about things you want to consider in the preconception period, uh, go back and have a listen to that. But basically, in an ideal world, if we can test your iron status 
three to six months before you're looking at trying to conceive, that's going to be the best place to start because we want to try and get your ferritin, which is iron stored within your liver. So your iron stores over 50. The cutoff reference range or the minimum reference range, at least here in Australia, is 30 across most labs. But this is just far too low to be able to not end up at a place where you're requiring an infusion later in pregnancy. So that's the reason for trying to get it over 50 at a minimum is that we are really wanting to optimize that level so that we have more room, I suppose, as that ferritin is naturally going to go down. Now, within iron studies, this is what we are going to request. This is what I request when I'm looking at blood tests for my clients. There's more than just ferritin. Often ferritin is looked at in isolation, but we really need to consider the entirety of the iron studies. So iron studies includes iron. It includes ferritin, as I've discussed. It includes something called transferrin and transferrin saturation. Now, those are the most important components of iron studies that we want to request. The other things that I will look at in conjunction with someone's iron status, so iron studies would be something called high sensitivity CRP or C-reactive protein along with hemoglobin. So these should really be assessed all together, particularly when we have no idea about where your iron status is at. So the reason we want to include all of those things in the iron studies, I might just explain what we're actually looking at in those iron studies. So there's an analogy that a lot of nutritionists give, which I do think helps to conceptualize all of these compartments, I suppose, of the iron studies is the taxi rank analogy. So basically when we are looking at ferritin, This is our storage form of iron. This is looking at iron within the liver. And this is essentially, if we're going back to the taxi analogy, this is taxis waiting at the taxi ranks. They are there, they are waiting, and they are ready to be distributed around. Transferrin is a really important marker in your iron studies panel. And this is our main transport protein of iron. So this is the protein that actually helps to distribute iron around the body. And if we go back to the taxi rank analogy, this is essentially taxis on the road distributing iron around. So hopefully you're following along and that makes sense. And then if we're looking at the saturation percentage, this is actually looking at how full those taxis are with passengers Or another way of saying that is how full or saturated those transport proteins are with iron. So the reason we want to look at all of these together is you could have a lot of iron in the liver. So you could have a great ferritin, but you might have really poor distribution or your iron percentage, your saturation might be really low or it might be really high. We want to look at all of these things in uh, a collective together because they're all really important. We never just want to look at one thing in isolation. Why we want to include that high sensitivity CRP is because that is indicative of systemic inflammation. So when that's elevated, we can tell there's inflammation present in the body. Often it's correlated with the immune system or with metabolic inflammation. And when that's elevated, um, it can also falsely elevate your ferritin. So that's why it's really important in someone who has inflammation present, we might look at their iron studies and go, wow, their ferritin's so high. There's no issue there with iron deficiency. But if their CRP is 
also really high, we're basically could be looking at pseudo high iron, basically where the iron status looks a lot better than it actually is. So that's really important. And we also want to look at hemoglobin, of course, which is basically the part of the red blood cells that are carrying oxygen around. That is really, really important for us to look at, particularly during pregnancy, which we'll get into. So that's what we're really looking at testing. Ideally, starting out at looking at that three to six months out preconception, um, the reason being that then we have ample time to start to improve that and also think about why your iron is low in the first place. It's not good enough to say, here's a low iron level, let's supplement it. We always need to think about why the deficiency exists in the first place. Is it that this person doesn't actually eat enough iron containing foods? That's one possible reason. Does this person have very heavy periods and they're actually losing too much iron every month? Does that indicate that there's a hormonal imbalance present that is contributing to that? And then one of our third most common reasons would be, is there underlying dysfunction in the gut or the small intestine that's actually inhibiting the absorption of this? And if it's really chronic, we of course want to look at ruling out things like celiac disease if there's a possibility of that. So we always want to think root cause, why does the deficiency exist and then look at addressing it over a three-month period. Now, if you don't have that time up your sleeve, that's fine. Trimester one is an excellent time to address your iron levels. And it's really the only time during pregnancy that you're going to have a great ability to improve your iron status. The reason being that in trimester one, the baby's needs haven't really begun to increase. So basically your iron requirement hasn't changed at this point in time. And there's no hemodilution occurring yet, which basically means that there's not a great deal of change to blood volume. The other thing in trimester one, obviously you don't have a period anymore. So you're no longer losing any blood during your pregnancy, but that combination of factors of the um, requirement not increasing, there not being any effects of hemodilution occurring yet, and the fact that you're actually not losing any yet, not losing any, pardon me, in your period means that this is a really key period for us to look at optimizing your iron levels. It is normal for your iron status to begin decreasing in trimesters two and three, and we will definitely get into that. So strategies to improve your iron, what should we be looking at? I always like to recommend food first. Now, I may be biased, but I do think that we need to be looking ideally if these are foods that you eat to high quality beef and lamb because these are going to be your biggest bang for buck foods in terms of iron. There are plant foods that contain iron, a small amount of iron, but we really need to understand that these foods are not as bioavailable. So when you see those memes and things online, which always irk me on social media that are comparing cups of broccoli or spinach to something like grass-fed beef or lamb. These are just not comparable. It's comparing two non-comparable foods at all. It's the apples for oranges um, type scenario. We just need to completely think about these separately, but ideally consuming say three to four serves of beef or lamb a week, depending of course on your iron levels, how deficient you are. Um, and then looking at combining those foods with high vitamin C vegetables is a great food strategy for improving your iron levels. In terms of supplements, 
supplements, if you've ever had a deficiency in the past that was tested through your GP, you've most likely been recommended Ferrograd C or Multifer. I never recommend taking these supplements because they contain very, very high doses of iron. So from memory, and as I said, I don't have notes. So this is just off the cuff. I think Ferrograd C is about 105 or 105.9 milligrams of iron per capsule. But what we know from the research is that much over 50 milligrams is actually not absorbed because when we have high intakes of iron, we trigger something called hepcidin. Now, hepcidin is a protein which is found in the liver. When we um, have a high intake of iron, basically hepcidin gets released and its role is to regulate iron absorption in the GI tract. The reason that this occurs is because too much iron can be really inflammatory to the body. And so this is a protective mechanism. Perhaps you've heard in the past of a genetic condition called hemochromatosis, which is a condition in which people lack this hepcidin protein um, or it doesn't work as well. Basically, they have no ability to regulate their iron absorption and so they absorb it all and that actually causes a huge amount of inflammation and contributes to a lot of symptoms. So that's the reason why this phenomenon occurs, why our body only lets us absorb a certain amount. The residual iron, which isn't absorbed, so let's say you're taking a ferrograd C and you're taking 105 milligrams a day, Uh, but your body's only absorbing, let's say, 40. Well, that remaining iron can become trapped in the gut wall and definitely contribute to feelings of bloating, constipation, and gas. So not overly comfortable. And a lot of those supplements, ferrograd and multifer, have very poor compliance in taking them because they make people feel so sick. The other thing here with dosages is that what we know from the research is it's far more effective. So 34% increase in uptake for you to take what's called alternate day dosing, which basically just means taking a lower dose of iron and taking it every second day, which is what I recommend to all my clients because you have a much better uptake through the gut because we're basically sidestepping this hepcidin response. So I know that that was probably all a little bit sciencey and maybe a bit overwhelming, but hopefully that makes sense for you. So I recommend a supplement no higher than 50 milligrams and looking at an alternate day dosing regime. And it's also better for you to take your supplement either morning or evening. And of course, avoid any of those factors which inhibit absorption. Why we want to look at potentially avoiding infusions. Hopefully from that ex- explanation of ferrograd C and multifer, you've started to see why perhaps high doses of iron may not be the best thing for your body. So for reference, an IV iron infusion contains about as much iron as it would take for you to eat across a year. (laughs) And you're getting that in a matter of minutes. So when we put that into context, it's a huge amount of iron coming in in the body. We have a huge hepcidin response as a result, contributing to that iron trapping phenomenon. And the other thing which we can see from the research is that it actually has been shown to suppress transferrin. Now, if we just take a moment to go back to my explanation of the iron studies panel, transferrin is the iron transport protein. So it being suppressed as a result of this high influx of iron from the infusion highlights the fact that whilst we might see an increase in ferritin, which is the iron in the liver, 
what we actually see is a decrease in the iron being transported around the body to the tissues and the brain. Now, this is really important when we're pregnant because that actually indicates that there's possibly reduction in the transfer of iron to the baby. So the catch-22 here is that we're seeing ferritin increase, which potentially appeases the test results, but that actual transport of iron is actually going down in some instances, which is obviously not ideal. Um, There are risks, obviously, with iron infusions as well, just as there are risks with any kind of intervention. IV iron can, as I said, induce iron overload. It can Um, contribute to inflammation within the body and is associated in uh, some circumstances with anaphylaxis and staining. So staining refers to the site of injection um, becoming permanently bruised. So in order to have that removed, you can um, look at laser therapy. So these are some of the side effects or risks that are um, often not discussed. And I think some of the really severe ones as it relates to pregnancy can be low birth weight, preterm birth, and even perinatal death. So there are instances in which an infusion is or may be the best option. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that no one should ever get an infusion, but what I am seeing a lot of is them just being recommended perhaps too early off the back of not understanding that it is normal for iron to go down during pregnancy. So how much are we expecting it to go down during trimester one uh, trimester two, pardon me. And then again, in trimester three, the baby's needs for iron significantly begin to ramp up and also hemodilution starts to occur, which basically means we've got increased blood volume. So what we do have in our blood becomes more dilute. So in actual fact, what we do have looks worse than it is, is another really simple way of explaining that. What we're aiming for, or when we might consider an infusion, is when ferritin, so that storage form of iron, is below 15, or when hemoglobin is below 15. So hemoglobin is often the marker that midwives will test during pregnancy without actually looking at iron studies just to track how you're going. It's actually more important for us to look at hemoglobin. So that's when an iron fusion may be the best option. Outside of that, what we're looking at here is just a natural reflection of the physiology of what's going on during pregnancy. We really need to understand that it is not normal for us to expect women to maintain their iron levels in pregnancy, but what we can do to make sure that we don't end up in a situation where we're having an infusion pushed on us is that ideally preconception, if we have that time up our sleeve, we've done the work to really optimize those iron levels. And if we don't have that time, we've done the work preconception and we have a plan as well going forward in trimester two and three. And this is so much of what I do with my one-on-one clients, either preconception or once they're in the later stages of pregnancy is actually looking at what we're doing from a preventative point of view. It's far better to spend that time doing preventative strategies than it is to look at getting an infusion. So so in trimester two and three, what also happens is hepcidin is naturally suppressed. This is something that our body naturally does to try and compensate for the huge increase in uh, iron requirements of the baby is that our body actually suppresses that hepcidin response, which I explained is that protein that basically governs uh, how much iron is being allowed in through the gut wall. So your body suppresses that protein in trimester two and three, which is amazing to basically 
increase the amount of iron that we are allowed to have coming in through the gut wall. So your body is trying to accommodate and compensate, but the baby's iron requirements still exceed this hepcidin suppression um, response. So we really need to understand, as I said, we're looking at it from a preventative point of view early on, but then also understanding that it is very natural for our iron levels to go down. Ideally, depending on you know your care provider, whether you're working with a nutritionist, a naturopath, or even getting your midwife to do this, it's best to try and get your iron and your hemoglobin looked at every eight to 10 weeks so that you can be really proactive and preventative about things and catch them before you get to that point of going, oh my gosh, I haven't looked at my iron in months and it's now under 15 and my hemoglobin's under 100. You're obviously then backed into more of a corner. We can really have an incredible effect on these things earlier on. So that's it. I think I've covered quite a lot in this short little episode about how to optimize and maintain, but also understanding that we actually can't maintain our iron levels in pregnancy and that's completely fine and normal. If you have any questions about this, obviously feel free to come over and find me on Instagram. I'd love to hear your feedback about these episodes and also hear if there's any particular pregnancy preconception postpartum topic that you would like me to cover, I will definitely include it on my list. I really enjoy talking about these things and providing education to all of you. So if you have any input on what you would like to see covered, please, please do reach out. And again, if you are looking for some support in any of these areas, please do feel free to reach out and book in a complimentary consultation. In these appointments, basically we have 15 minutes together and we talk about what you're wanting to get out of the consultations, why you might need nutritional support, and then what we can really offer you from um, an appointment point of view and also from a consultation and and perhaps testing point of view and what would be required. And we also discuss a timeline as well. And these appointments are really important as well, just to make sure that I am the practitioner that is right for you, that can help you. If I'm not, I will, of course, always try and point you in the direction of someone who can. These appointments are not a sales call. They were really just there to make sure that we're a fit, that we're on the same page. And then if you're wanting to book in your first appointment, we do that um, on the call equally. If you're wanting to go away and have a think about it, there is absolutely no pressure at all. So if you think that you might be interested in getting some support in pregnancy, see preconception postpartum or something completely different, um, but you think that I might be able to help you, then please book in one of those calls. I would love to have a chat with you. You can find all of the links for that on the website, which is just my name, selendouglas.com. Alternatively, you will find the link for the complimentary call in the con- in the show notes. Thank you for listening to this episode of Holistic Health Chats. If you enjoyed this episode, I would be so grateful if you could leave me a rating and review in iTunes, as this allows me to help more women just like you. Holistic Health Chats is not intended to replace medical advice, so please consult with your practitioner before making any changes to your current health. If you are ready to take your health to the next level and would like some personalized support, the next step is booking in for a complimentary health chat. Please head to selendouglas.com forward slash book for more information.